Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. Merry said Happy Christmas, which is what the British say. So, yeah, I like British people. Happy Christmas. If you have a Bible, open it to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 is where we're going to stare at very briefly this morning. And as you're finding that, let me just tag team with Robert. If you're a parent with a small child in here, uh, do not feel bad at all. I know it's inevitable that you're going to just be a little anxious, but we want to put you at ease. Kids are people too, and it's great to have them in the service this morning. They have a lot to be excited about. I mean, they're in a new room. They're out of school for two weeks. Christmas is tomorrow morning. Army won 10 games in their bowl game yesterday. I mean, just lots to be excited about if you're a child. (laughs) As we're finding Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, I just want to mention before I pray, um, next week Robert's going to preach on New Year's Eve day, and then when we get into January, we're going to get back into Romans. We're going to pick up back up in Romans chapter 7. So this will be my last opportunity before they move away just to say a goodbye. And I want you to pray for a couple that has been very dear to us here at Crosspoint and dear to me personally, Rob and Olivia Goldinger in the back row back there. Wave your hands high so everybody can see you. Rob and Olivia have been members of the church for a couple years. Rob has just recently gotten out of the army where he was a captain. And in fact, Olivia was in the army as well. They are fellow natives of the country of California with me. Um, I did not know them. They were about 20-something years younger than me. But they came here in the army. And they had their little baby, Everly Joy, who was back there with them as well recently. And Rob has just gotten out of the army. And shortly after the new year, they are moving up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and where Rob is going to be attending Westminster Theological Seminary, which is an excellent school. Rob feels a call into ministry, and so he's going to pursue his Masters of Divinity up there at Westminster. And we will miss them, and we're going to pray for them as they go. And Lord willing, maybe they'll come back this way someday. But uh, hug Rob and Olivia. Now, they'll be here next Sunday. But then shortly after that, they're going to go up to Philly and get settled in at that great seminary. And so we love you guys. We're going to miss you. Um, as I pray for God's just word to illuminate our hearts this morning, I want to pray for Rob and Olivia as well and hug them on your way out this morning. And um, you know what? They're getting out of the Army, transitioning, going to be seminary students. So I don't know, slip them a $100 bill or something. I mean, you know, they, they need expenses. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for the sound of children. Thank you for the glory of the gospel and the good news of your son who you sent forth to be born in a manger, a baby who cried and who was a toddler who wiggled and who grew up to be a perfect sinless man who learned obedience, not that he needed to be perfected in any way, but he humbled himself to endure this human life that we all endure And yet he did it perfectly and he then laid down his life on a cross to bear our guilt and shame and rose again over death, sin, and the grave to be our king. Lord, we come in his name thanking you for the word that you have given us that is true and authoritative and without error about Jesus. And we thank you for this time of year 
that we can remember his incarnation, the moment that Jesus became God, the Son became flesh, and we, we center our hearts on this great truth. We thank you for your gospel, for your word. We thank you for the church, for the community of your people here at Crosspoint. We thank you for Rob and Olivia Golding, for your gifts that you've given them, for the way that you've built them as a couple and as a family, and the gifts that you've given Rob. We thank you for his time here on our staff as an intern. We pray, Lord, as they go to seminary in Philadelphia, that you would go before them and use these next three years to be a mighty, wonderful time of learning and growing and grace and in the knowledge of your word so that that this couple would be a beacon of light in dark places, that you would set them in a church where they can give themselves away for the glory of the gospel and for the sake of your name. And Lord, we thank you for them. Go before them. Use them mightily. Give them a good church family to join in Philadelphia. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to this word, to this scripture in Galatians, and we ask for just a few moments that you would cause us to fight for joy in the gospel, and that we would see what you have done through your son, and then it would cause us to rest in him and lean forward as we look at this upcoming year. And we pray all these things for the glory of your name and for our joy and for the salvation of any that are in this room that do not know Jesus. We beg that you would open their eyes, and we pray it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. I realize we're parachuting down into this text, and this is just a beautiful little synopsis of the timing and the providence of God in the gospel. So without catching you up on all that's going down on in Galatians, let me just read verses 4 and 5, and we're just for a few minutes going to peel back and look at these, these two verses. The Apostle Paul writes this, but when... The fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I want us to just look at that, those two sentences there. The first part of the first sentence says that when the fullness of time had come, and that's referring to the the timing, the providence, the sovereignty of God in arranging for the birth and incarnation of his son Jesus. Now we, we are a people that, that despise, in fact we loathe waiting for anything. That's just kind of wired into the fabric of Americanism, right? In fact, I just read an article and I saw it on the news about how I, Apple, the, the, the computer tech company Apple, is being sued because apparently uh, the older versions of the iPhone, have you heard this? Apparently some people that have like iPhone, like those long time ago iPhone 6s, I mean so, so 2016, that evidently Apple has somehow programmed into the operating system to slow down those older iPhones. And people that notice this nanosecond of difference between, you know, their phone's speed have been alerted to this fact, and they are charging that Apple is intentionally slowing down their older versions of the iPhone to create in people a desire to buy the newest model. That, that's, I guess, is what is going on. Apple saying, no, we're doing it for some other reason to kind of to prevent crashes or whatever. But, I mean, you know, God forbid that Apple slow down our iPhones for 
two seconds. And who notices? I mean, who notices that? We do because we are people that hate to wait. But here in this text, it says, when the fullness of time had come, the waiting through centuries for the Messiah finally came. And in God's providence and kindness, he brings his son, Jesus. Now, God's people have always had to wait. This is part of his design. In fact, just a quick scan of Matthew chapters 1 and 2, which we'll read tonight in our, in our, new, in our Christmas Eve service. We'll read through that tonight. But let me just show you in Matthew 1 where, where there were these prophecies fulfilled in Matthew 1 and 2 where God's people had to wait through the centuries. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, where it's speaking about Jesus coming, it said that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet in Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That prophecy was spoken hundreds of years before Jesus came to be. Then in Matthew chapter 2, we read in verse 14 and 15 about how Joseph and Mary had to flee into Egypt. And it says in verse 14, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is Hosea, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt I called my son. And then a couple verses later in, in, in verse 16, it says, or verse, uh, yes, verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. Verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And this comes from Jeremiah 31, verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The point is, friends, is that God God's people have always had to wait, not a few seconds because their iPhone is slower, but for centuries, for the long-awaited Messiah. The Bible is full of God's people having to wait. The Psalms are full of lamentations and crying out to God about God's people waiting on God. Listen to David, King David's Psalm 62, where he writes about waiting on the Lord. Psalm 62, verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. Do you see what David is doing there? He's preaching to himself in his impatience. Wait, O oh my soul, in silence for God. Verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My rock, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. God's people have always had to wait. God's timing is always perfect for his people in redemption. And here we read in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, 
at the perfect time, God sent forth his son. Friends, before we move on, what, what are you waiting for in your life? Maybe the salvation of, of a loved one that's far from the Lord. Maybe the healing of some emotional pain. Maybe some change or deliverance out of a difficult work environment or life circumstance. Maybe you are waiting for some step forward in your sanctification as you fight that continuing besetting battle with that sin that keeps rearing its ugly head. And we take our place in the long line of God's people who have waited on the Lord. Friends, this Christmas, let this fact not be obscured. He is worth the wait. Jesus is worth the wait. And also, let's realize that this wait never fully finds its full satisfaction in this life. These people, God's people, waited for centuries. Many of them died. Most of them, in fact, all of them have passed away waiting for the Lord. And the promise of redemption isn't only merely in these, in fact, it's not at all in these 80 years, but ultimately, its redemption, its satisfaction is full and final only in eternity. That should form the way we view life and the way we, the expectations that we have out of each other and the expectations that we have out of the Lord in our 80 or 90 years or however long he gives us. There's coming a day when every valley will be full, filled, every mountain will be leveled, every crooked path will be straightened, every tear will be wiped away, every pain will be healed, every errant cancer cell will be finally and fully vanquished. Every terrorist will be judged. Every heartbreak will be made whole. And we will be with him forever. And we remind ourselves this morning that he is worth the wait. He continues, Paul does, and he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So, so uh, unlike these people that had to, to wait, we, we have this real immediate desire for our immediate salvation. And, and we see examples of this in the scriptures. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, we won't take the time to, to read it, but James and John who were called the sons of thunder, two of the disciples of Jesus, wanted Jesus to answer their prayers immediately. And they, they were still, I think, thinking about Jesus as a kind of immediate political savior from their current situation as God's people Israel was under captivity to Rome at the time. And they had the audacity to come. In fact, read this later this afternoon in Mark chapter 10 where they came to Jesus and they said, and these are the words that are recorded in the gospel, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we want of you, whatever we want to ask of you. And Jesus says, paraphrasing, oh really now? What is it that you want of me? And they said, well, we, we want to sit at your right hand in glory. And Jesus goes on to say, essentially, you don't know what you're asking for. 
And we find later on in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' resurrection, right before his ascension, we see these disciples again asking him, okay, Jesus, when are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? In other words, when, I think their mindset at this point is, when are you going to bring immediate satisfaction for us? When, when are you going to make this good for us here and now? And God has a much more long-term solution and plan. He isn't about our immediate freeing from our captives, whatever they may be, although at times he gives us that temporary grace. But he sends a son, a humble son, to be born of a woman. He sends God in the flesh. Think about the, the spectacular humility of God. Think about God's enemies raging against him for centuries. Think about how God works redemption by sending Jesus to become a man, to be born in a stable that was not nearly as neat and as swept and as clean and as pristine as our nativity scenes are. It was dirty and dusty and painful and cold, scary. Jesus is born into this scandalous scene, born under, in flesh, under the law that he has implemented to display his holiness, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us who were slaves under this law that we could not ever fulfill. Friends, God has a more long-term solution planned and a radically humble way of bringing it about. And as we gather on Christmas morning to think about the incarnation of Jesus around our trees and in our living rooms, let us remember that God has sent forth His Son, God in the flesh, to die, to live, to die humbly on a cross and rise again in victory over sin and death in the grave for all those that will repent and believe in him. Why does he do this? Well, Paul ends these verses with this. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Not so that there would be this distant transaction between a holy God and a people far off, but that he would do all this to draw us near and to make us, to make us family. Now this word family is, is such a powerful word and there's a reason why it's so powerful. Because, because we're like hardwired to be part of a family. In fact, I was watching a commercial the other day where the auto company Chevrolet is offering all of us, everybody in this room, the same discount that they would give all of their workers because evidently we are all now part of the Chevy family, right? That, I don't know how you just feel this. You just want to go out and buy a Chevy, right? <laughs> I, I can remember growing up in the late 70s and early 80s and I used to be captivated with like Motown music and there was this song by this group called Sister Sledge. You remember that? Man, those ladies could sing. We are family. I got all my sisters in me, right? 
Why, why do promotional slogans and songs like that resonate with us? Because we are all hardwired. We're hardwired for, for community, to be, to be part of family, to be God's. And this is, what, this is what the Apostle Paul says is the result of God sending forth his son. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. He says, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So if you're a Christian this morning, God hasn't just from a distant perch in heaven washed away your sins and sent his son to transact this redemption for you. He's come into your life. He's sent his spirit. He's given you the gift of his very presence, the spirit of his son, and he's put it inside you and he's made you alive so that you can cry out to him, Father. And as a result of that, verse 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In other words, everything that is mine is yours. It's yours. Recently, I saw some pictures on, on Facebook of a little child that was adopted into a, f- a wonderful family here at Crosspoint. And I haven't asked their permission, so I won't mention their names because they might get embarrassed. But I, I was just looking at this picture of this little child. And I know very little about the circumstances of this, of this child and how this child grew up. But given the fact that this child's mother put her up for adoption, we can all sort of surmise that maybe it wasn't the best of situations. I don't know much about those circumstances, but I, I do know a good bit more about this family that adopted this child into their homes. I just started to think about the, the grace of God in the life of this child from those circumstances to be put into this wonderful family where Jesus is Lord. And it started to make me think about how this child did nothing, did nothing to make that happen. And now, in the moment, in just a snap of a finger, in a legal declaration, in a courtroom, in Columbus, Georgia, all the rights and privileges that come along with being part of this family are now this child's. And friends, that's what the gospel has done. That's what Jesus coming has done for us who believe. He has made us no longer slaves, but heirs. Now, as you guys know, I grew up in a small little desert town um, on the Mexican border called El Centro, California. And, and this upcoming year is going to be an emotional one for me because my parents um, have decided to move from our dusty little hometown of El Centro, California, about an hour closer to San Diego. Now, I don't know why they would do this, because in El Centro, in the summertime, it's a wonderful, breezy 120 degrees average daily temperatures, <laughs> and there's nothing out there but desert and cactuses and coyotes and taco stands. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> in fact, I often wonder when people were pioneering the West and they were moving, you know, just kind of establishing towns in the West, who decided to stop in the middle of nowhere, where nowhere empties into nothing, in the middle of the barren California desert, and said, you know what, this would be a good place. If you just keep walking, 
another hour and a half, you'll be in San Diego. And that's where I could have grown up. But anyway, <laughs> they're going to leave that little house that I grew up in. And they're putting it up for sale here at the beginning of February. And I'm hoping to maybe get back one more time before, before they sell that house where I grew up and, and just see the house one more time. And I've told you this story before. But there's something about that house that makes it special because it's, it's, it's my parents' house, right? And even though I moved away when I was 18 years old when I, in 1989 and really have not been back for more than a week at a time since, that's still my dad's and mom's house. And I don't have to knock on that door when I come home, right? I mean, even if I were to get on a plane and fly to San Diego right now, rent a car and drive a tail Centro through the desert, I wouldn't have to, well, I don't have a key anymore, but if I had a key, I wouldn't have to knock. I'd just walk in and say, Mom and Dad, I'm here. And if, if I was hungry and thirsty, I could walk into the kitchen and I could do something that you could not do. You wouldn't dare do anyway. I'll go straight to that refrigerator and I will open up the refrigerator and I will, well, first of all, I'll eat some cookies because my mom always has cookies out. And then after you eat cookies, what do you need? You need some milk. And I'd go to that refrigerator. And you know what I'd do with that milk carton? I would not go to the cupboard and pour myself a glass of milk. No. I'm going straight from the carton. Why? Because that is my mama's house. That's my daddy's house. And I am their son. Oh, don't act like you don't do it too. <laughs> I might give it a little gap. <laughs> but I'll go straight from the carton. Because I'm a son. And Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under that law that we could never fulfill, satisfying the holiness of God, so that God could fill us with his spirit and transfer us from slaveship to sonship. Friends, that's the good news of Christmas morning. That's the gospel. If you're a Christian, that is true of you this morning. And that should cause us to worship. Let's pray and ask the Lord to center our hearts on that. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the incarnate son, Jesus Thank you, Lord, that we who were in slavery can be made sons and daughters by the work of your Son, who became a man like we are, tempted in every way, yet without sin, perfect in all of his ways, and in his humility laid down his life on the cross and bore your wrath that was required by your law and satisfied it and defeated it and extinguished it and then rose again in victory over sin, death, and the grave, and now calls, commands, beckons all those with ears to hear to turn from trusting in themselves and to put their hope in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that Son who you sent forth 
so that those who believe can be sons and no longer slaves. Lord, may we worship him afresh with new eyes, with new thankfulness, with new gratitude this Christmas season. And we pray it all for your glory, for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.